0: Amen. Good to see you all. So uh, we're carrying on with um, our series on the, end time blu- the blueprint for the end-time church. And today we're doing a little bit more on the tabernacle of David. But today we're going to look about how David got it wrong the first time. And we can learn lessons from David about how for us not to get it wrong in our own lives. Amen? It's good to not get things wrong, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, right. So um, where are we going to start? Uh, let's start with remember good old Saul. Um, let's uh, Saul. Saul was an interesting character. He was the king before David, and um, he he was um, an interesting guy. He was never really interested much in God. He although he was a, a Jewish man and he was brought up in the faith, you could see by what we're going to read in a minute that he was never really a man that wanted the presence of God amongst the people. He was more interested in, well, you know, let's do things well. Let's do everything perfect. Let's have excellence. Let's be militarily as best as we can. Let's kind of leave the crazy religious stuff to one side. You know, let's just, uh, you know, let's just kind of play it down the middle of the road. Amen. Let's just do a middle of the road. We won't upset anybody and we'll just defend Israel, which, you know, I guess seemed okay at its time, but that's not really what God wanted because King David... He was a man after David's heart. He was a man after David's heart. God's heart. Sorry, what am I saying? A man after David's heart. He's a, David was a man after God's heart. Hallelujah. And that's what God wants. He wants people to have a heart for him. Hallelujah. That excites God. That excites him. Hallelujah. And it excites me. Amen? We need to be excited about Jesus. Hallelujah. None of this, we're gathered here today. God wants us to be excited to be here, to be for him, before, as, a, as a people of God. It's exciting to be a Christian. And uh, we're living in days where it's really exciting to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. So, I'm going to start with 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 2. And we'll have a look here. This is, this is a really bizarre scripture. Now, I appreciate the Bible has plenty of bizarre scriptures, but this one is a very bizarre one. Okay, so I'm reading 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 2. And it says, The men of kiriath Jirim came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of, Ab- uh, of Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated his son Eliezer to have charge of the ark. From the day that the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jerim, a long time passed, some 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Well, like, well, hang on a minute. If, you, if you're so like upset that the ark of the Lord is in Kiriath-Jerim, why doesn't someone just go and get it and move it to like a bit a bit closer where Jerusalem is? It, I, whether it just didn't cross anyone's mind, I don't know. So, oh well, it's somewhere safe. We will keep it there. And in the days of Saul, Saul never sought the Ark of the Covenant. Wasn't interested in bringing it back because remember, the Ark of the Covenant, as far as a Jewish person was considered as concerned, was the manifest presence of the living God. Okay, and so it says a lot when you have a leadership that is not interested in bringing the presence of god back to the people of god even though the people of god were mourning for it amen and i believe we have a nation of christians who are mourning for the presence of god back in the church again and i think you know we need leaders in this in this day that have not the heart of saul that just wants to go down the middle of the road. Let's not get too weird with the religious, with the crazy Jesus stuff. Let's just go, let's take it nice and easy. Let's just do a nice middle-of-the-road um, type, type church service where you know everyone's going to be happy, where we're not going to offend people, where we're politically correct, uh, where we're culturally relevant and all this, and everyone's going to love us. Oh, isn't it so lovely, these Christians? Why, I wish, wish I could be a Christian because they're so like me. Anyway, so in the days of Saul, the ark was in the woods of Ephrata, and Saul did not seek for it. How do we know that? Because if I turn to First Chronicles 13, hopefully it says that. Um, Saul lived for one year and then became king. And when he had reigned for two years over Israel, Saul chose three thousand men of, of Israel, two thousand were with Saul in Michmash in the hill country of Bethel, and a thousand were with Jonathan and Gibeah of Benjamin, the rest of the people he sent home, every man to his tent. Jonathan defeated the garrison of the Philistines. That was at Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard it and said that Saul had defeated the garrisons of the Philistines, and also that Israel had become a stench to the Philistines. And as I assumed, I get bad feelings about some of my scripture references sometimes. That has got nothing to do with the ark. There is one here somewhere. We'll get to it in a minute. It is definitely here. I know it's here somewhere. Um Oh, I know what I'm doing. I'm looking in the wrong book. There we go. Hallelujah <laughs> it says then in first Chronicles, chapter thirteen, not first Samuel it says. Um, this is King David, he's he's mustering all the people together. It says, David consulted with the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, with every leader. This is really interesting. So David's got all the guys together, okay? and he says, And David said to all the assembly of Israel, <clears throat> If it seems good to you, and from the Lord our God, let us send abroad to our brothers, who remain in the lands of Israel, as well as to the priests and the Levites in the cities that have pasture lands, that they may be gathered to us. So he's trying to gather together all the priests and all like the key people for the, for what he's about to say. And he said, Then let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. And all the assembly agreed to do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. I think prophetically in the days that we're in now, we can't we I and I'm not being rude. But I think in the days that we're coming into, I don't think the church is going to survive with that kind of middle of the road kind of church leaders. The church in this day and age needs people that have actually a little bit of gumption to them, have a little bit of passion, who absolutely want to go all out for Jesus, who don't care what people think of them who just think you know what i am going to become even more undignified than this hallelujah okay. and when king david he was dancing before the ark the second time round when he tried to bring it into jerusalem okay his wife saw him and she was offended at him because he looked like he was an idiot and he was and all these people were looking at him and he was dancing like a complete buffoon and when he got home you know just you wait till you get home and as soon as he got in and she had words with him and then he says this to her we sing this song, so I'm gonna become more undignified than this but I'm, I'm sure it was an argument yeah Yeah, you think that was stupid? Well, I'm going to become even more undignified than that. Hallelujah for Jesus. Because I love him. And I'm going to let everybody know that I love him. And I'm going to be mad. And I'm going to be crazy for Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You young people, you need to be crazy for Jesus. Hallelujah. (laughs) In the days of Saul, the ark was in the woods of Ephrata. And Saul didn't seek for it. And in these days ahead, God is really desirous of a people that are just all out for him. Hallelujah. Just everything in. And don't care what anybody says. And don't care what anybody thinks. They're just like, it's Jesus all the way. Jesus all the way. And you know what? For David to dance around like he did when the Ark of the Covenant was coming in to Jerusalem... Just goes to show what kind of heart he had for his God. Amen? They just didn't care. Just didn't care what people thought of him. And in a, and in a generation where, you know, we, we're so obsessed with trying to fit in, trying to be normal, try to be like everybody else. Okay? I was born weird. I just come out of the womb that way. And uh, as much as I try to be normal, I just can't be normal. So I think about, I don't know, five years ago, I just thought, you know what? I give up. I'm not going to try and be normal anymore because I'm not. I'm a square peg and I just got to get over the fact that I'm square. And that's the way God made me. And I'm just going to have to rejoice in that. I don't like being square peg sometimes, but here I am. I'm square. And guess what? Because you're here, you're square too. (laughs) <laughs> I know one or two of you are thinking, well, I'm not really square. I'm... Yeah. yeah, you are. You wouldn't be here if you weren't. But anyway, King David, he, he took several, uh, two attempts to get the ark to Zion. But the first time, he was a dis- it, it was a disaster. And I want to just go through some stuff that he did that was wrong that maybe we should try not to do as well in our own lives. So he made five cardinal mistakes. The first mistake was that there was no preparation to house the ark when it came in. The second time, we've got some scriptures here later we'll look at, it says that this time when he brought it in, he prepared his house and he prepared a place on Mount Zion, a tent for the ark of the covenant to dwell in. Whereas the first time (laughs) round, I don't know what he was thinking. Oh, let's just bring it into Jerusalem and we'll just see what happens. Okay? And... This is what I I think practically for us, we need to think about as well. Have we made a place and a space in our hearts for the presence of God to come back into his church again? Have we taken the time to prepare a place for the living God? Now, as you know, over the years, I've taught on things like faith, and I taught on that for a long time. And then I've taught a lot on prayer, and I've taught about things like meditating on the scriptures and various things like that. Because what I've been trying to do is to instill a culture where people have prepared hearts. Where they know how to, through meditating on the scriptures, where they have attuned their ear to hear the voice of God. And so, and when we look at things like faith, they're in a place, people are in a place where they can learn to trust God even when everything says it's never going to happen. Because we're, we're coming into difficult days. You know? I, think, I really do think October is the, is the month that's kicking us off into things. And as we're moving further into these things, we need to have hearts so that are rooted and grounded in Christ. We can't be all over the place and wobbling and, and up and down and screaming and shouting and, and all this and why that. We have to be in a place where we're in a place of calm. And so we need to... And the thing is, you can't do this. If you knew something was coming in two weeks, you can't go, well, I've got, I'll do it in two... You know, I've got like two weeks left. I'll start tomorrow. This is something that takes years. It takes years. You know, we start today, obviously, just to encourage you. But it takes years to develop that, 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 that centeredness that in your heart where Christ is your everything. And no matter how rough or how bad things get, that you can stay in that... In the, it's like being in the eye of the storm. It's the place of perfect peace and tranquility while everything around you is being destroyed. Yeah? That's the place God wants his people to be in. And so we have to prepare our hearts for the Ark of the Covenant because it is coming back. But it's not coming back like the old, some of the... Well, actually, to be fair, we have these rose-tinted glasses about old revivals. We think, like, it's our time now where everyone's drinking Starbucks and all of a sudden Azusa Street just happened and we're all drinking Starbucks going to Azusa Street and we just sit down and, yeah, there's a revival. Isn't that great? No, Azusa Street revival was, at the time of 1904, the, the people had just come out of the long recession from the 18, late 1800s. The times were tough. There were all kinds of weird diseases going across America, and people were dying of all kinds of influenza and all sorts of stuff. So it was not a good time for America. The second time in the 1930s, we had the Great Depression, and then God really moved extraordinarily again. Incidentally, He only ever moves extraordinarily, not because there's a Great Depression, but because there's a Great Depression, all the Christians thought, oh my gosh, I'm not going to have any dinner on my table if I don't pray. And they prayed and interceded, and then suddenly God moved. Okay? There's a pattern there. So when we look at back at revival, have been go. Oh, isn't it so lovely? I just go in there with my Starbucks latte. It's not like that. It was difficult for them, and where we're going now, it's going to be difficult for us. But God is going to move in His house. But we need to have hearts that are prepared for the ark when it comes. The next part of David's problem was that the um, the musicians were not prepared for it, um, and it says here. So this is. This is the first time round, I think, yeah. So then David and all Israel were celebrating before God with all their might with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and cymbals and trumpets. But then the next time, uh, where are we? Uh, in verse 15, it then, it then talks about, there's loads of scriptures here. Um, I'll just see if I can pick out a few um, so in, in chapter 15, verses verse 1, it says, David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the ark, and God pitched a tent for it. So this is now the second attempt that David is bringing it back. And then he goes on from verse 12, says, You are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites. Consecrate yourselves, you and your brothers, so that you may bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place that I have prepared for it. So to prepare yourself to carry the ark of the covenant you see the first time round how did the ark come into Jerusalem on a wagon, on a wagon yeah Someone's been watching too many old uh, cowboy movies. On a wagon, okay? It's coming in on a wagon. I would say ox and cart, but wagon works, okay? So it's on a wagon, okay? And, uh, and then we all know the story of Uzzah, who's not a priest, and suddenly the ark looks like, whoops, it's going to fall, it's going to fall, and he touches it, and instantly he dies, okay? Because he thought his hand was cleaner than the ground that the ark potentially could fall on. Do you, think, do you think God would fall over? You know, they do it just like, you know, don't worry about it, guys. I've got this, you know. Oh, God wouldn't fall over. But the ark was not permitted to be carried on an ox cart, it had to be permitted to be carried by the priests. And so the priests had to sanctify themselves to carry this thing aloft. And so they had to spend three days in preparation to make themselves holy. Oh, but Chris, you can't make yourself holy. (laughs) Yes, you can. It says in the book of Revelation that the church at the end of the age makes her garments white and pure through her good works. Well, that, that goes against Protestant theology. Well, who's wrong then? The book of Revelation or your Protestant theology? Uh, well, uh, uh, any, any, any clues? No? Yeah, you're, all, you're all like, is this a trick question? Is this a trick question? Okay, so if your theology is like going, I don't agree with that, I don't agree with that, but even the Bible says "To complete opposite to what you don't agree with, then you are the one with the problem, not the Bible. Amen? Okay, it just means you have to tweak your theology a little bit. And so there is a place where we have to make ourselves holy. There is a place where we have to live our lives that are consecrated. To be holy just means to be set apart. So it means that we deliberately live our lives in such a way that we set ourselves apart from the things and the customs and the things of the world that go on around us that's important living a holy life living a righteous life getting our place ourselves into a place where <coughs> when the presence of god really comes back in the church that we can at least for a point of view cope with it because when the presence of god is strong the flesh doesn't like it the flesh does not like the presence of god I see all sorts of weird and wonderful things sometimes <laughs> when, people, when people come into the presence of God. They all do weird stuff, just weird things. They just freak out and do all kinds of strange stuff. But you don't want to be weird and freak out. You want it to be like, oh, fine. It's like a hot bath. Just get into it. And hallelujah, we're in the deep presence of the Lord. That's what the church wants. To, that's what we want to come back. I, I got saved at the tail end of the charismatic renewal. Okay, and what I saw—it was the tail end, the last little bit. I think I got the last year of it, and and then it went. Okay, and I literally watched it go, poof, and it went. But in that last year, that was the year that I got saved, and I saw God do some amazing things in our local Church of England church—just amazing things. And, And, but it was the presence of the Lord as well, and I've seen glimpses of that throughout throughout that time to today. But I'm looking forward to the day when we can have it every single moment of every single day. But this isn't just a pipe dream. This is coming. God is coming back to his church in power. Hallelujah. But we need to get ourselves ready. Please don't be the Christian that just sits there. and Well, I'm just going to carry on with my life as normal. And then when God turns up, then I'll get my act together. Okay? You don't want to be that guy. I, I want to be, be fighting fit and ready so when the Holy Spirit start, you know, really starts moving, like, here I am, send me, because I've taken the time to work out. I've taken the time to get myself spiritually fit. I've taken the time to sort out the nonsense in my life. Here I am, Lord, send me. Yeah? yeah. yeah. Hallelujah. Otherwise, you'd be doing, like, months of FaceTime on the floor while God's trying to deal with stuff in your life. <laughs> Not good for your mascara, ladies. So, anyway, so the musicians were unsanctified, and this is another thing. I think in this next move of God, I think in all moves of God, actually, music is always, not all moves of God, but I do think that music is a key component. We live in a generation today where we have more music than probably any other culture at any other time in all of history, okay? It's just on all the time. So many different styles, so many different types of music. And I do believe that music is powerful. And if it wasn't powerful, why would Satan spend so much of his time and energy perverting it and using it to educate the masses you know, about all the stuff that he does? And I think in these days that God wants to use musicians. And this is why, again, like here in Chronicles, the worship leaders need to make sure that they are sold out for Jesus and for holiness. Now, I'm not talking about perfection. I'm just saying we need to be a people that are sold out for Jesus. Because if you're any kind of leader, right, you've got to lead. You've got to be someone that can... The The world does it this way. The world says, right, you're really good at managing people. You can be a leader. But that's not how it works spiritually. In the spirit world, you've got to be someone that's actually someone who's gone places in the things of the spirit so that you can take somebody there and if you are not th- out there and, and and in the things of god and you know stuff about god and you're out there and i'm not talking about theology i'm talking about practical experiential understanding of the things of god if you don't have that and if you don't have those disciplines in your life then how do you expect to be a leader to lead people Otherwise, you're just a guy just taking a walk in the park. You want to be someone that's going places in the things of God so that when you come back, it's like, okay, now that you've gone out there, now show other people how to do it. And a leader should be one that leads already in the sense of that they're living their lives consecrated and full on for Jesus. You make yourselves ready. It says in the New Testament about making yourself a vessel of noble or ignoble use. But the option of being an innobly or nobly used vessel, the onus is not on God and his sovereignty, but it's on you and me. We can choose to be a vessel of noble use, or we can choose to be a vessel of innoble use. Okay, have a think about a vessel that's used for a noble use. Let's let your imagination run there. And then think of something that's used for noble use. It, that's, that's, that's a. That's fit for purpose to be at the table of the king. Yeah? That's what I want to be like apostle Paul says he says you know he pummels his body daily in other words i don't care body if you don't want to get out of bed you're getting out of bed and you're going to pray but i don't feel like it well never mind you're getting out of bed and you're going to pray and you're going to pray and you're going to keep praying who <laughs> don't want to you just got to tell your flesh what to do because if you pummel your body as paul says i am a, like he said i said i'm fighting to obtain a better resurrection i'm looking for Eternal rewards. I'm looking for a rewards long after i have dead. That when I rise again from the dead at Christ's return, I want to have some purpose and a job and some responsibility to do. Now I know what some of you are thinking, probably my wife. I don't want a job and I don't want any responsibility. I want a rest. I want a rest. <laughs> she wants to retire in heaven, but uh, I, don't think, I don't think that's an option. <laughs> I could just imagine God, you know. Hey, God, so right if I retire? <laughs> retire. You're joking, right? So the famous story in uh, First Chron- uh, Chronicles 13, 9 to 10, is that sad story where it says, And when they came to the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put out his hand to take hold of the ark. For the oxen stumbled, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he struck him down because he put out his hands to the ark, and there he died before God. It made God angry. You might think, well, but Lord, his heart was in the right place. <laughs> How many times have we heard that? Well, he meant well. His heart was in the right place. Yeah, but God wasn't happy about it, and God <laughs> struck him dead. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter if his heart's in the right place. You've got to do things God's ways. Yeah, but he meant well, Jesus. Yeah, but it killed him. So you've got to have your heart—you know—that heart in the right place. It's just a funny thing. It's like we've got to do things God's way. And also in this move of the Spirit, I I don't think it's a place where men can stick a label on it. This is a living word event. Yeah. Or this is my ministry. Stick my sticker on it. Stick my name on it. This—this is—this is something God. God does not want man to get a hold of what He wants to do. Because if you do that, it'll either kill you or it will kill the move that God is trying to do. And I am so tired of seeing in church revivals, church history, where people have tried to get hold of things and things have just been stopped. And I'm I, I just desperate to see the goodness of God move in this land. You know, yesterday, I was uh, Tracy and I were doing a conference. And uh, we're, just, we're meeting people that are... Re- I mean, you know, these are wonderful people. And they're just... So hungry. I mean, these are middle class, what I would call way out of my uh, league in respect to, you know, wage bracket sort of thing. But these are people that are just passionate, that want to serve God in the purposes of their generation. They're just all out for Jesus. And these are intelligent people. All right? These are, not saying you have to be thick or or clever, or anything, but these are like what you would expect to see, like, oh man, you know, probably not them. No, they are full on, full out for Jesus. And it really blessed my heart to see people that are hungry and desirous to see God move in his church again. And these people know that God's moving again. And these people know that God is going to do something in this nation. And these people know that when this starts, they want to be in a place where they can say, here I am, Lord, send me, use me. Hallelujah. Because what is the point of life if it's not given over to Jesus? What is the point of it? What is the point of it? I used to be a musician, and I used to like go around to all these kind of like, no, I was going to say sleazy nightclubs. That's not true. I used to go around to all these nightclubs and various things. It was all, it was all above board, don't worry. And, uh, and I used to see these people like in the corners. With their, you had their grandparents, and you had the parents, and you had the children. And then every, every like Friday and Saturday i go to go social club, you know, and watch some crazy live band. And, I, and then I'd been doing this for about 15 years, watching these little kids grow up. And then well, some were a bit older, and then they got married. And then they had kids. So they could perpetuate the let's go down to social club and just watch a band. And literally just waste my life pouring it down the drain. Because they don't know any better. And I see Christians doing this, just pouring their life like a can of beer just down the drain. Why wouldn't we want to live our lives for Jesus? Why would we not want to give him everything that we can give? Oh man, what is the point of life if it's not serving Jesus? What is the point of it? There is no point. Life is meaningless. I mean, this is what the book of Ecclesiastes is about. Everything is vanity, everything is vanity except serving the God of your youth. Vanity, vanity. All is vanity. I mean, it's the truth. And I want to just um, come to this last part, (laughs) which is spiritual revival and renewal begins at home. Oh, we want it to begin in the church, so we could all come to church on Sunday, get woohoo, and then go home, and then hopefully everything's great. No, but I believe God wants it to do the other way around. If you can get your act together in the home, then you can get your act together when you're corporately together. Amen? Hallelujah. Let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6. So this is the story of poor Obed Edom. So after everything went disastrously wrong, David was not willing to take the Ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David, but David, I mean, poor guy, he must have been so embarrassed. He got all of the military leaders together for Israel. He got all the priests. Everyone was like, "Yeah, let's do it," and then it all went wrong. And so David t- took the Ark of the Covenant aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. We Remember, we've looked at this a few weeks ago. A, a Gittite is not an Israeli. It's uh, he's of the line where basically where Goliath came from, the Philistine. It says, and the Ark of the Covenant remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now, if you do a little search, a little Bible study on Obed-Edom and all his children, he had loads of kids. And they were all really blessed. And this is something that's really important for us as Christians. Now, for your kids who've left home and stuff, well, that that boat has has floated, that boat has sailed, that ship has sailed. But I think it's really important that as Christians, we really take the time with our children and raise them up in the ways of the Lord. Um, Now, my my wife, bless her, she came to me years ago and said, uh, I believe that we should, we should homeschool our children. And I just like, oh, no. Why would, why would anybody want to do that? <laughs> just, just the thought of it. Because uh, I didn't understand. And she, she said to me, there was a statistic that said, 90% of children that are brought up by Christian parents that go to secular school will leave the faith of their parents. 10% will remain. Whereas for those that are homeschooled, only 10% will leave the faith of their parents. And she said, I'm not going to take that chance with my children. Therefore, I'm going to homeschool them. And so uh, she boldly went where few have gone before and started doing homeschooling. Uh, Zach, all of them been being, being homeschooled. My last three are being homeschooled. And they're, being, they're just being taught normal stuff, but they're being brought up in a culture where the scriptures are taught they're being brought up in a culture where they just see christianity lived every day lived in the home where god is the centrality of what we do most days i'll, I'll do bible studies with the kids you know just i'll just read them like an old testament reading a new testament reading and then a psalm and then we will just have a little time of prayer and things like that just raising them up in that real just so that they just grow up that that becomes normal <coughs> Because I remember years ago, I was a, I used to be a, one of my many jobs that I've done over the years. Is I used to be a, a double glazing fitter. Okay, I'm not going to tell you some of the stories I, I saw doing that job. But anyway, one of the sto- one of the things I did happen to see was that we were invited round to this this uh, not invited. Um, we had to go round and put some windows in this 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 family's house, and this family were Muslim, and I was really interested to see. Man, they, I mean, they, they, they loved their kids. They weren't doing anything weird or wrong. And, and, and they were, every morning, they were there studying the Quran. They were teaching their kids to pray um, prayers, you know, and, uh, and to memorise their scriptures and stuff. And it's like, that's what Christians need to be doing. We need to be raising, raising up our children in a way and bringing them up in the, in the ways of the Lord. I mean, obviously, it's going to be different from household to household, but that's really important. It's really important that, we as families and we as Christians bring up our children in an environment where they really see Christianity lived in the house. And when I say Christianity lived in the house, I don't mean perfect Christianity. I mean when life sucks sometimes and they see their parents freaking out and their parents getting angry, but how their parents deal with it because they come to the place of prayer. Yeah, When they see reality, when they see faith, when it really just hits the road that yes, it's rough. Yes, they have an argument. And yes, sometimes there's tears and all that. But they're seeing God as the centrality of their household. And I think that's so important. And I think in the days ahead that we're coming into, our kids need that more and more and more. And God wants revival, I believe, to start at the house first, before we then come together. Because if we can get that In ourselves and in our families okay as the initial core chain link then when we come together as the body of Christ we can link all those chains together and think how strong that we can be yeah now as I'm saying this I'm aware I believe in the spirit that some people are starting to feel bad or, you know, I failed my children or I haven't done enough of this or I haven't done enough of that. But I'm just reminded of um, those scriptures where, you know, whole households get saved. And, I, and for some of you, you know, you are just, you've, you've had to become really deeply praying mothers or fathers because your kids may have gone off the rails or they're not with the Lord and stuff anymore. But I want to encourage you You see, the Bible says, bring up a child in the way it shall go, and he shall not depart from it. And I meet so many adults that come back to Christ, even much later in their life, because their mum or their dad and stuff just instilled some basic truths into them. And I think that's important. I just feel like God wants to encourage you with that. Don't think like, oh, great sermon, Chris, but I actually come out of that feeling quite low because I, you know, my kids aren't going on with the Lord. Don't worry. Yeah, worry about it. But just be encouraged by that just keep praying and just keep praying and just keep trusting yes sometimes it looks like everything's going the complete opposite way to your prayers but just hold the line and just trust god that he is a god that's interested in households getting saved amen that's god's heart lord god i pray for for today lord jesus i pray father that you will help us to get our hearts right lord god And help us to be a people that are holy and separated and sanctified, Lord God. And a people, Lord God, that have made room in our hearts for you, Lord, in these days that we're coming into. Help us in our weakness, I pray, oh God. Take us where we're at and just take us on. and let let Lord, walk with us side by side to help us in our weaknesses and stuff. And help us with our family, Lord. And help us to have revival in the homes first. And we ask this in the precious name of Jesus. And all the saints said, Amen. Bless you.